Well, welcome, everyone. Uh, I have uh, a friend, a family here visiting that I wanted to just uh, say. My, my best friend, Les, is here. Wait, just way back there, Les. His family. Our, our, par- our parents were friends in small group together, and then our moms had babies, us, uh, <laughs> and were friends and raised us together. And uh, so we've lived together over different periods of life and stuff like that. So uh, he has all the secrets. I've told a couple of stories on him up here before. I'm not going to do one today. Uh, but that one where you put the sunscreen on your face, and then you got, it was the chapstick kind, and then it had all the stripes on your body. That, that was hilarious. Um, and another couple of comments. Birthday. Perpetually young. Yeah, and when Renee says she went to a party and she was out late, like 8.30, I know it was 8.30. When uh, a few years ago I met Katie, who's our youth pastor, and uh, she was, she just come on staff and we were going to have our first meeting. And some of you have seen Katie, Uh, Carly miss her. And so we went together to, uh, to the coffee shop. We were sitting there across from each other at this little table. It was my first time to really get to know her. And uh, so we're, we're visiting, and then it's, we had quite a long meeting. It was great. And she got up, and she went to the restroom, came back, and her hair was on one side was all wet. She has this really long blonde hair, and it was all wet. And I was like, huh, that's weird. You know, do you, do you slip in there? You know, uh, what happened? And, uh, but she went ahead and told me, she said, well, when I was washing my hands, I realized that uh, there was some Taco Bell hot sauce in my hair <laughs> from the day before. <laughs> I, like, I knew I liked her. Uh, <laughs> so funny. Um, so it's kind of a funny thing to have happen when you're really getting to know your boss. Uh, Taco Bell may uh, grow some of you out. I don't know. I love Taco Bell. I've told you that before. Uh, but food is not tied to our faith as much as it was to these people that were the first Corinthian church. And when we talk about preferences around food, it might be a little different than what they were experiencing. In the passage that we're in today, in this chapter 9, and actually Paul talks about this a lot in 1 Corinthians, is one of the biggest questions they were facing is, can we eat food that's been offered to idols, that's been sacrificed in some temple in this Roman city of 1 Corinthians? It's the second version of Corinth uh, itself, but it is uh, the city of Corinth. They're wondering, can we eat this stuff? And can we eat it when it's just like people that are believers together? Can we eat it when we're with people outside the faith, can we? How do we decide how to do this? Well, uh, Paul is, as you guys know, if you've been here much uh, in the last couple of weeks, he is teaching people who know almost nothing about following Jesus what it looks like to follow him in a culture that is radically going the other way. So, how do they stand firm, make decisions that honor? their king, that, that are like in line with following Jesus, but they just don't know how to do it. 
They're, they're wondering. And so food is this big issue in their community. It's not as big an issue to us unless you're on like, you know, the whole life 30 or something like that, and you're trying to figure out how to make that work. The, the, those are like side issues. For them, this was in the forefront. And we've hit a couple of the other issues recently that were in the forefront. You know, these sexual things that were going on were really a, a big thing in that time. But food became a serious thing. Now, we... Um, since we don't struggle with having food in our town or at our table that's been offered to idols, how are we supposed to understand what he's telling them and how does it apply to us? Let me ask you to just imagine the situation for just a second. Some of you guys know Tim Egelhoff. He's a great chef here in town. It's never bad when you go to a dinner and somebody has got Tim as the chef, right? In fact, I went to your house one time and I was like, Yes, Tim was there. It's like, awesome, this is going to be great. Every time Tim is the chef, you're going to be happy. Uh, he's not paying me for this, by the way. Uh, but he always explains what he is making. So he'll come out and he'll say, I made this appetizer and then these things, and I made them because of this, and this stuff came from Paonia, and this stuff came just from a local garden here in, in Crescent Butte, and I bought this this way. He brings all these things together. I wonder if we were, so few of us were having a meal together and Tim came out and described it and he said, oh, and there's this lamb. This lamb is amazing. It's been hand-raised privately. It's been rubbed down every day like Wagyu beef. It's been fed by hand its whole life. And then it was offered to the Roman goddess or the, who was the, the princess of the imperial family as a sacrifice. Isn't that great? Now we're going to eat it. Like that was how it was brought to us as a special thing. I think even in our culture now, we'd be like, that's really weird. Um, I'm not sure if we should do that. Uh, he might today say, hey, this was offered in a pagan ceremony up on Woods Walk. And we would say, oh, okay, you know, how, how do we proceed? Well, it was a serious, serious issue in those days. Um. But what Paul does is he builds this argument where he responds to their question. He says, well, in this situation, there's this. In this situation, there's this. And if you read 1 Corinthians, you'll see there's a lot of this. Well, if I'm with this kind of person, I, I, would, I would respond in this way. And he kind of goes around in circles and describes all these different scenarios. But what he's going to do is come to a point where he shows us something that it basically takes this whole question to another level. He kind of rises above the immediate question of what should I eat? And he says, here is an opportunity to help us understand how to make decisions in line with following Jesus. I don't think there's any one of us in here that doesn't struggle on a daily basis with some kind of decision about following Jesus. Some of them are small and some of them are big. Some of them are personal, they're just in our head, in our heart, just with us. Some of us impact our families. Some of these impact our families. Some impact work, life decisions, these kind of things. How do we make decisions that honor Jesus, that are in line with following him? Well, I've given you a little bit of a clue. When he comes to the end of his argument and discussion about making these decisions around food and should I eat this food or not, 
he gets to 1 Corinthians 10.31. So it's a little bit later than what we read this morning, what Char read for us. He says, whatever you eat, he says, whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do all to the glory of God. Did I say that in the right order? Whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So do you see what he does is is he takes it up and he says, hey, you're making decisions. You're trying to follow Jesus. How do we do this? Whatever I do, whether it's the smallest thing, like am I going to eat or drink that, all the way up to any decision, will this glorify my God? How does this lead to him being lifted up, him being honored? So, what I want to do is ask you today to sort of start to process through some of the questions that you're asking, some of the decisions maybe you've already made. How do these things honor our God? He's given us a new paradigm, a new way to make a decision, this new uh, uh, decision-making spot where we say, okay, whatever this is, can I honor God in it, or will this not honor God? Now, it, it may sound simplistic. You may be like, yep, okay, I've already thought about this. But you guys, um, the more time I've spent with this letter of Paul to the Corinthians, the more relevant it gets to me. It is so pertinent to our culture, to us as individuals, to the, the world that we live in. And Paul is making a big deal out of this. Whatever you do, whatever decision you make, for the glory of God. So, uh, Paul brings his point at the end, at, in chapter 10. But we're going to back up a little bit, and what he does is he's, he sort of lays out this practical how-to to get to the point where God is glorified. And it's not an exhaustive list, but it sort of helps us understand, all right, if I'm going to glorify God, what does that look like? Because some of you are saying, well, I'd love to glorify God in my decisions. But wow, that's, that seems like a big jump from, you know, am I going to drink this or that or hang out with this person or not to does this glorify God? What does it mean to glorify him? Well, here's three little things that he says. Well, they're not little. They're, they're pretty major if you were to apply them. But it's sort of a, a how-to. And so that's what my points come through, come to. Second strategy, and success. So second, strategy, and success. So let's start with this idea of second. When he starts his argument out, and he says, all right, I want to glorify God in my decisions. I've got all these decisions to make. You're making these decisions. Step number one is to put myself as second. Make myself second. If there's a decision where I can be in second place, where I can put someone above myself, this is first. So the first point is second. Look what he says in 919. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. I want to just briefly break this down just for a moment. He says, I'm free from all. Since I'm not, I'm not a slave to anybody, but what I am is I'm a son of the one true God. I'm in the family of Christ. 
And so from there, my decisions are made. Not, as, not just to please other people, just for that, just, just to be obedient or put myself second for that. What I am is I'm a person who is a child of God and free in that to make a decision to make myself second. He says, I'm a servant to all. Well, okay, that sounds like a pretty broad statement of what my life might look like. A servant to all. I mean, when I just think within my family, a servant to all, um, my friends, people in my workplace, you know, just the simple application of this, but then reaching outside of the community of the church to be a servant to people in the community. I make myself a servant to all. Do you remember the point a couple of weeks ago? Uh, the main point I had for you was another passage that Paul writes. He says, you are not your own. As believers, once we understand that we belong to Christ, and we're free then to be second. We're free then to be second. A servant to all. What it does is it tells us that when the Spirit of God indwells us, if, we're, if we have trusted Christ as our Savior, that a change happens where we value people in a dramatic way. Right? If we're bringing glory to God, we're valuing people in such a dramatic way that we're putting ourselves second. And Paul says, to all. And then you might have noticed, he says, I made myself second. I think it's important just to bring that up. I made myself second. Like, this was an act of full-on discipline on his part. So it wasn't easy for Paul. I get the the impression that Paul was kind of a guy who uh, uh, rubbed people wrong. You ever notice that? Just the way he said the the relationships he had and stuff. But he was always after making himself second by actually pressing himself into that place. And then he gives a reason. He says that I might win more of them. When we bring honor and glory to Christ, there is this desire that, is, that, that makes that happen, that is drawing people into relationship with Jesus. That's something that's going to be a part of who we are. And I think it's important to note, when he says win, it's, it doesn't mean I'm going to dominate other people and convince them and be uh, obnoxious about my faith or, or anything like that. He's saying, I'm going to win them. I'm going to draw them towards Jesus. The most winning thing that you as a believer, if this is resonating with you, can do is to make yourself second. It's not to have all the answers. It's not to be a beautiful Christian, whatever you might think it is. It's not even to be like amazingly bold and and outspoken about your faith. Those are things you could do. What Paul says is simply make myself second. So first step, be second. Second, there's a strategy in this. Paul has a strategy in what his his process is in drawing people And what it is, is that he has this mission. And I think if I were to ask almost any of you who've read a little bit of what Paul said, you could say, Paul has a passion to follow Jesus wherever he is, 
right? We can clearly see that in his life. And Paul has this driving desire to introduce people to Jesus and help build up the church. So if you were to tell the story of Paul's life, you might say, this is the main point, right? Well, uh, since he wants as many people as possible to know about Jesus, he has strategy to get there. And so let me read to you a little bit of this. I'm going to repeat some of what Shar read to us a second ago. To the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win Jews. Let me skip down to 21. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law. And then, if you can put 22 up there, to the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do, all the, I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I might share with them in its blessings. You know, he continues to come back to this idea of all people. He describes Jews and then people who have come into the faith, to Christianity that were not Jews. They've gotten the Jewish law, now they're following that, and now they've become Christians. And then he says people outside, people who are um, wait, pagans is, is what he's, he's saying. I'm not going to live like them, but I'm going to be what I need to be for them. There's no one that's outside the scope of his desire to be second to. Now, when I think about that again in application, a lot of times I'm praying, God, can you just help me to serve my wife, who I promised to serve? And then you know how that goes. Uh, And then when I think about my friends or the staff I get to work with, can I be second? Can I? Because I'm concerned about all people. And then outside, when I meet people in town, when I'm with people, when I'm serving, wherever I am, can I meet whoever it is with the goodness of the gospel? Can I become all things? Well, when he says that, you know, I become all things, does that mean that Paul's saying, hey, you don't have to have any boundaries, you know, because you're reaching out to people, so just do whatever you want. Or does he mean like, hey, be a chameleon and be different in every group that you're in? Just be a little, you know, you don't, you don't have to be uh, visibly Christian, just be a chameleon. Or does it mean I'm now the world's number one people pleaser, right? And actually, Paul later says, I am, I am committed to pleasing people. It's interesting. However, he's not saying don't be Uh, he's not saying adjust who you are. What he's doing is saying, all right, you've got a situation. You're in a place where you don't know what to do. You don't know how to act. There's pressure on you because of the scenario you're in at the party with the friends, with the coworkers, wherever you are in town. And rather than say, oh, am I going to do this thing or the other? I step up above it and I say, will this bring glory to my God? the particulars become second, and the first thing becomes, where is the glory of God in this? Now, I want to just point out, I think there's two strategies there. One is defensive, like something comes at you, I've got to make a decision, what am I going to do? Which thing is going to glorify God, right? So that's sort of that defensive stance, like I'm ready, here it comes, I'm going to make this decision that glorifies God. But what I want to encourage you is, is in this. If we're walking with Christ, we might want to be proactive 
instead of waiting for the situations to come to us to address those things and say, okay, how can I make myself second? How am I going into these relationships, in these situations on purpose, proactively, intentionally? And that's what Paul was, was doing himself. So there's a strategy in bringing glory to God. It starts with making yourself second, but then there's this when these situations come to us, are we being defensive, which is fine? It's step number one. Are we moving into those with uh, this vision to say, I'm going to bless a person, being proactive, my community, my family, my work, to bring glory to God. All right, so that's two, strategy. And finally, success. So what does success look like? Well, Paul gives us a little bit of a nudge in a, in a part of the passage that we didn't read. This is in 1 Corinthians 9. He says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive perishable wealth, but we in excuse me, perishable wreath, but we and imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control. Lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Paul's not just cruising. He, just, he, he puts in the middle of his description of how we make decisions, this little illustration of the intensity with which he's calling us to, Right? This is more of that proactive strategy, like let's go after this. Let's go after bringing glory to God by making ourselves second in our communities. Paul's not cruising. As uh, my friend Nate uh, Qualls used to say, he was going hard in the paint. He was after it, 100%. Um, He says, there's an earthly wreath that people get, you know, or a trophy when they win the prize in a race. But when we are following Jesus, there's a whole different prize. It doesn't feel like a trophy that comes to us. It's an eternal thing. It allows us to make ourselves second. That's the wreath that really matters. And just going 100% for Christ to bring glory to him, do you see sort of the mindset that he's trying to move these people to? You've been worried about these decisions about what you're going to do. But instead, what if we were so excited about bringing glory to God? that it changed how we interacted with everybody. Anyway, those, those uh, specific decisions would get easier to make. And he says, you know what, I don't run aimlessly. He says, I don't box in the wind, you know. I'm not just taking off. I don't know if you remember, uh, some of you watched Monty Python over the years. You, you oldest people in here will remember this with me. Um, the, the skit they do, it's called No Sense of Direction. Am I the only person? Um, they call up all the athletes to the line, they blow the whistle or shoot the gun or whatever, and everybody goes, they just go everywhere. And it's funny. (laughs) See, I think people in the church, Christians, if you want to call us that, sometimes we we act that way, um, are almost like that. We're misunderstood because we're running aimlessly. And so when people look in the church, like I had a, a friend say to me recently, he said, you know what? 
all these sinners at the church. Look what they're doing. And I was like, I, I had to kind of think about how I was going to, I was like, um, you should fit right in. <laughs> uh, or um, I didn't say that. But I was like, exactly. It's exactly who's there. But what happens to us Christians is we start to pat ourselves on the back and, and think we're supposed to look pretty, you know, and not be transparent and uh, try to figure out this, how to follow Christ in this tough place. We just kind of got it. Um, and so people misunderstand us. It's super hard to misunderstand somebody who's, who you know is always making themselves second. Right? If I have, like, information for you and I'm going to teach you something and I'm going to tell you how I know something and you don't, that's one thing, and sometimes people appreciate that. But when I'm second, on purpose, in a big way, they see something different. And there's only one reason to do that. We're not second uh, just for, the, for grins. It's because the Spirit of God is working us because we, and causes us to want to honor our King. I think, I'm, I'm about to wrap this up here, I, I think the church in some ways, because we've forgotten about being second, has lost its urgency. We've, we've assimilated into our culture, we're really comfortable in it, we're driven more by it and the things about it than we are by the things of, of, that glorify Christ. We become comfortable in that, um, me foremost. I don't want Obi Joyful and the Christians in Crestview to be comfortable in our culture. I want us to love it, experience what's right in it, but also I want us to, to be people who um, have not uh, just assimilated the playground idea of the world, but instead are living very purposefully to draw people towards Jesus because we're bringing glory to God. Let me read you this quote from A.W. Tozer. He says, Christians think of the world... Now, today, not as a battleground, but as a playground. We're not here to fight. We are here to frolic. We are not in a foreign land. We are at home. We are not getting ready to live, but we are already living. And the best, this is powerful, the best we can do is rid ourselves of our inhibitions and our frustrations, and live this life to the full. This, we believe, is a fair summary of the religious philosophy of modern man. Well, what, I, what I'd like to suggest is that we, as my friend Nate said, we instead, um, we think more of this as a battleground that we go hard in the paint, go 100%, run to win, run with direction, which we've been talking about. Let me ask uh, the girls to come up and uh, we'll close. Uh, let me just leave this thought with you. Um, here's a summary of how Paul makes decisions. This is a paradigm for us the smallest decisions, like what we're going to eat, all the way up to the biggest decisions, whatever they are. 
whether I eat or drink, whatever I do, I do it all for the glory of God.